Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair and I am full of odds and ends today that I want to share with you. I don't know if I'm full of odds and ends, but the show is going to be full of odds and ends. We have two primary topics I think you're going to really uh, find interesting. The first one has a bit of a scandalous title. It's an article I found called Six Things Big Pharma Doesn't Want You to Know About. It's a very interesting article because it's written from a very different perspective than the perspective I typically come from, but it matters, and I think you're going to want to hear it. The second uh, topic today is about seed oils. A few weeks ago, I talked about Dr. Eric Berg and Dr. Gil Carvalho and their little online spat that they had on YouTube where uh, Berg did a uh, YouTube clip on cholesterol and basically talked a lot about how cholesterol, high cholesterol, and cholesterol medications and statins are a, a bit of a hoax, which I certainly agree with. And Dr. Carvalho, who said that uh, he was going to fact check him, and then Dr. Berg fact checked the fact checker. The point is, we went through all that, and the exercise was basically an exercise in uh, trying to figure out how to tell if you know someone's telling the truth online. As a guy who is a content creator, as they call people who make podcasts, uh, and and a potential influencer in terms of what you may or may not choose to do for your health, um, I found that topic very, very interesting. And I told you I'd give you a little bit of a follow-up. Because if, if you didn't hear it, you could go back uh, and check out that episode. It'll be linked in the show description. But basically, uh, it was... Th- this guy, Gil Carvalho, who I did not know, and I don't know Dr. Berg, but I know enough about Dr. Berg, and I've seen enough of his, of his stuff to tell you that I generally believe that he knows what he's talking about, and more often than not, I agree with him. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think he's a little off on things, but you know, we all have different opinions about this stuff. And frankly, uh, as I was stating with Dr. Uh, Gaetano Morello uh, just recently on a podcast— you know, once you think you know everything, you don't know anything when it comes to health and nutrition. There's just so many things that are yet to be sorted out and figured out, and uh, we're all learning. So I reserve the right, as we all should, to change my opinion as new information comes out. But I was already convinced of one side of this story, and that was that seed oils were very pro-inflammatory, which means anti-health, basically. And uh, Dr. Carvalho had a very, very different take on that in a in a previous video he did, which I think needs to be fact-checked. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to present it a little bit differently, and I'll explain that. But I'm going to talk a lot about seed oils, and again, from a little bit different perspective than the one that I typically come from. I think there's a lot of nuance to a lot of this stuff, and I felt like this article that I found written by a dietitian of all people, generally a class of people that I uh, largely clash with, 
was written really, really well and from a very, very balanced perspective. I was really, really impressed with this author and definitely going to give her a shout out as well. So uh, those are the primary topics, but I've got a bunch of announcements and I think these are pretty fun announcements. Uh, some of it I'm really excited about and I want to present to you. This is going to be kind of a, uh, a quick episode in terms of getting a lot of stuff crammed in in a short period of time, um, and I hope that we'll have time to get it all in. So let's jump right into the announcements, but actually, I guess before I do that, um, remember that if you do have questions about anything I talk about, it's 801-292-6662, or check us out online at vitalitynutrition.com or in-store at 107 South. 500 West in Bountiful, Utah. Okay, so here are the announcements for you. I am really, really super, um, I'm just going to say it. Jessica's my assistant. She's also my podcast producer. She's also our primary health coach at Vitality. And uh, she always tells me I say excited too much on the podcast. And she gives me a little hard time about it. And she's currently listening to this before you're listening to it as she's producing it. And I'm saying just to her, not to you. If I'm excited, I'm excited, okay? I don't know a better word to use, so I'm excited. But here we go. This is an exciting thing because I get to do next year one episode a week. We're doing two episodes a week still, just like we have for the last few years. Um, but uh, one episode, there's going to be something I call the homeopathic minute. And the homeopathic minute will probably take longer than a minute because I don't know how to say anything in, in a minute. Uh, in fact, I go on Instagram and I'm supposed to do these you know, Instagram stories. And they're supposed to be a minute long. And I'm like, how am I supposed to say all this stuff in a minute? But regardless, I'm going to try and keep it to one to five minutes. But every other episode, you're going to hear a homeopathic minute where I'm going to talk about a homeopathic remedy. And uh, what it's what it does, how to use it, uh, when to use it, all that kind of stuff, because I really want to introduce you. And and some of you I know already know a lot about homeopathy. And if you do, and you're one of those people, hopefully you'll learn even more. But if you're uh, if you're a, a kind of a newbie to the homeopathic world, I think you're going to be fascinated by what I have to present. I just interviewed Guillaume Olois, uh, a wonderful Frenchman. Uh, who started the company Olois about 12 years ago, my favorite homeopathic uh, line of products from France. And uh, he'll be on the show uh, about the beginning of January. I think it'll be January 6th episode, if I remember correctly. And uh, we're going to talk, or we already did talk, all about homeopathy, what homeopathy is, how it works, and all of this kind of stuff, some of the myths and misconceptions and that kind of thing. But I'm going to bring to you 50 times at least, and I'm going to shoot for all 52, but at least 50 times next year, we're going to do these homeopathic minutes where I'm going to help you to learn homeopathy, which is my personal favorite way to go with children's health uh, challenges and people who are on uh, multiple different prescription drugs, but also as a really great adjunct to you know, herbalism, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and things like that. So that's one announcement. All through 2024, we're going to really dive in for a few minutes every week on just homeopathy, one remedy at a time. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. A reminder from last week, we started something that ends uh, December 31st. It is the Immune 23 promo. The Immune 23 promo is only for podcast listeners. You can't know about it if you don't listen on the podcast. I'm not talking about it anywhere else. And uh, it is a uh, promo at vitalitynutrition.com where if you buy any four items, uh, mix and match in our immune 23 section of the 
uh, of the online store, which will be linked uh, in the show description here. You get 23% off of mostly already discounted items. You got to buy at least four. You can buy five, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever you want, but at least four to get that 23% off. And we've got some of our biggest hitters in there. The uh, Ultimate Vitality Multi is in there. The Vital Kids Multi is in there. The Vitality Nano Silver and Nano Silver Nasal Wash are in there. So, and Get Well, Stay Well, My Big Immune Formula is in there. We've got some immune gummies in there for kids. And it's a really, really great selection, 30, 35 products that uh, are there to help you fight through all of the stuff that comes at us this time of year. That runs through the end of December. You can do it more than once if you want to, uh, but uh, that's linked in the show description. The next thing I want to talk about is the 12 days of Christmas. We haven't done this before, and everybody tells me we should do it, and people apparently get pretty excited about it. Hopefully you are as well once you hear it, but really, really unique, one day only, 24 hours uh, promotions. They're being announced on Instagram, at Vitality Nutrition Bountiful. They're being announced on Instagram uh, at 5 p.m. They're good for 24 hours. They are really, really unique and uh, awesome deals through VitalityNutrition.com, most of which um, come with free shipping. So that's another thing that we're doing for the next 10 days. It started two days ago. Those deals are already gone, uh, but uh, it's going to keep running for the next uh, 10 days as well. So check that out on Instagram or join our Vitality Radio listeners community. And the last thing, Dr. Stephen Cabral was my last guest. He was on Saturday just uh, five days ago. And he uh, talks about the functional medicine detox. If you have not heard that show, please go listen. I've already had really great feedback on that episode. People absolutely love it. A lot of people excited about it. In the Vitality Radio listeners community on Facebook, we are hosting a community detox that starts on January 8th. If you're not familiar with the listeners community, you're not a member of the listeners community, come on over and join. It's free to join. It's a great little community of 500 plus like-minded, health conscious, aiming for the greatest vitality people. Um, And you can join and learn more about the functional medicine detox, how we're doing it. And we're doing it as a group, which I think will be a lot of fun. It'll be really interesting to hear everybody's results. Uh, But go back and listen to uh, to, uh, the last episode of Vitality Radio podcast to listen to Stephen Cabral talk all about that. Okay, so there are your announcements, and now it's time to jump in to the first topic, which is six things Big Pharma doesn't want you to know. Now, this is from a website called uh, MSF, which is Medicines Sans Frontiers. This is a European uh, website, and uh, it's just msf.com, or .org, sorry. And uh, I've never been to this website before, but I really, really enjoyed this article. It's quite simple. I'm going to actually read most of it word for word because um, it's, it's just a simple kind of bulleted paragraphs for each one of these six things. And I think these are things that, yes, Big Pharma does not want you to know. To some degree, Big Pharma lies to us about or at least misleads us. And uh, these are things you need to understand about their business practices and why I say on a regular basis, we really just can't take them at face value. Um, although, I don't know, if you look at 
if you look at the net of uh, these guys, maybe you can take them at face value, if you know what I mean. They say in this article, which is actually written back in 2019, I just recently found it though, that for decades, the global pharmaceutical industry has spread a deceptive narrative justifying the ever-increasing sky-high prices of drugs, vaccines, and diagnostics as something necessary and inevitable. Now, this whole article is primarily about price. It's about why drugs cost so much and why they probably shouldn't cost so much. However, it does shine a light on some of the other uh, sketchy practices, we'll say, from our you know, non-friends at Big Pharma. Uh, the first one is developing drugs is not as expensive as they say. Big Pharma exaggerates the cost of research and development of new medicines to justify their high pricing and often categorizes opportunity costs and non-research activities such as the cost of buying another company as R&D costs. So if they acquire another uh, brand or another company, they can call that research and development, uh, which makes their research and development costs look much, much higher than they actually are. But they uh, categorize many, many non-research activities as research and development. While Big Pharma often says it costs two to three billion dollars to develop a new drug, other credible estimates are at least 10 times less than that at somewhere around one to two hundred million dollars. Now, it doesn't sound like a small amount of money, one to two hundred million dollars, except that when you consider what a drug can yield in terms of net profits for the companies, that is a pretty small drop in the bucket. Number two, and I think this may be the most important one on this list in terms of um, how this research is done. There's a couple other biggies here as well, but this one's called You're Paying Twice for Your Medicines. Corporations free ride off public taxpayer-funded research at government and university laboratories from which most new drugs and health technologies originate. They get tax credits and other financial incentives to de-risk their research investments and privatize and patent the resulting products. Then they can charge high prices to taxpayers and governments. Now, the research on this indicates that maybe as much as 80%, 80% of the cost of researching these drugs actually comes from taxpayer dollars, which is an interesting thing. Now, if we go back to the scandalous last few years when we look at pharma, the brands like Moderna and Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca and... Um, of course, Pfizer, and what happened when we fast-tracked all of these new jabs and they were paid for, the research and development was paid for by government almost exclusively, and the drugs themselves were paid for by government and given away, quote-unquote, for free to individuals who wanted these things, then we recognize that in that scenario— the pharmaceutical companies made all the profit and had zero risk. And when I say zero risk, not only was their financial risk basically zero, but their repercussions from side effects was zero because, at least in America and unfortunately in many other parts of the world, these pharmaceutical companies can produce anything labeled as a vaccine as 
um, they can produce those without liability. And we know, and if you ever listen to my other podcast, Dearly Discarded Podcast, or have heard me talk about it here on Vitality Radio, that millions of people have paid a fairly heavy price in terms of side effects from those particular jabs. But the pharmaceutical companies will not have to pay anything out to the end user, or in this case, the injured user. So we have a real problem where pharmaceutical companies are claiming that it costs billions of dollars to create new drugs, and that may be inaccurate to begin with, but even if it's true, about 80% of those billions of dollars is coming from you, and so you're actually paying for them twice. You're paying for them when you buy the drug, but you're also paying for the research and development of said drug through your tax dollars. Number three, the pharma industry is poor at innovation. About two-thirds, this is a staggering number to me, by the way, about two-thirds of new drugs that arrive on the market are no better than what we already have, and that has been studied and proven multiple different times that they are drugs that are for the same issues that don't work any better than other drugs, but they make tweaks to those drugs. They're called me too drugs. Think about just statins, for instance. There are so many different statin drugs on the market. Why are there so many statin drugs? Because one works dramatically better than another? No, they actually have yielded very, very similar results. They're just variations of the same drug. They also yield very similar side effect profiles. Like, I'd be all for it. Let's just say, let's say that I believed that statins were a health-promoting drug. I don't, but let's just say that I did. And we had, uh, we'll just uh, pick one, um, simvastatin, okay? So let's say simvastatin or Lipitor, to pick an actual brand name, um, is a great drug in terms of promoting health, which is not, but if it was, <laughs> then... It also had a pretty bad safety profile, and a drug company were to go back to the drawing board and make another Lipitor with a slight variation to it, and then come out with that, and it works just as well, but reduces side effects, then I'd be all in favor of that. Let's have a safer drug, and that can be a Me Too drug I can get behind. But I can't get behind a Me Too drug that has a similar safety profile or lack thereof, and a similar... Uh, similar data when it comes to the actual results or benefits of the drug. And why do they do these Me Too drugs? What's the point of the Me Too drugs? Well, it's actually very simple. And that is, that leads into number four on the list, that patents are extended over and over again. The patent is where the money is in drugs. They can create a drug, they can get a 20-year patent, and they do what they call evergreening, where corporations file for additional patents on small changes to existing drugs, thereby lengthening their monopoly and blocking affordable generic versions of the drug. And when a company loses a patent on a drug, the 20 years is up, they haven't been able to evergreen that drug, then they will make a similar drug that is not the same but and has its own research, but has a largely identical profile in terms of effectiveness and in some cases is less effective than the previous drug. They will then go into your doctor's office, promote that drug as the next best thing when it is not the next best thing. It is just the next thing in a list of average drugs that give average results based on the other drugs on the market and in some cases even below average results 
but it is promoted as the next best drug, the next blockbuster, the thing that we should be using now instead of the one that is no longer on patent. That is That happens all the time. It is a super sketchy business practice. Um, it's not just done, I guess, in pharmaceuticals. It's just easier to cover up in pharmaceuticals, but we see it in all kinds of different marketing where people market, you know, their next car is the, you know, the, the best version of this car that it's ever been. Um, and it comes with a much higher price tag and maybe it's not any better than the last car. And in some cases, it's not even as good as the last car in terms of its, um, you know, production quality and so on and so forth. But with drugs, this is a real problem because doctors are marketed to as if they're getting a drug that is better for their patient. Patients are marketed to as if they're getting a new drug that is better for them, and yet it is not. It is often just equal to or even less effective than the previous version, yet with, in many cases, as high as 20 to 30 times the price of the generic and number five, pharma bullies developing uh, pharma bullies developing countries for going against their corporate interests. Time and time again, big pharma uses pressure tactics or oppressive legal actions against low and middle income countries like India, South Africa, Thailand, Brazil, Colombia, and Malaysia for prioritizing people's health over pharma's interest. Together with some wealthy countries, pharma tries hard to influence international trade rules to benefit themselves, even if it hurts the public interest. And there are actually a lot of examples of this that I won't go into based on my limited time. And then this one here is number six. Big Pharma says they need huge profits so they can pay for research and development and innovation. But in reality, they spend more on share buybacks to boost their own stock prices and on sales and marketing than they ever spend on R&D. It's estimated that research and development is only about 8% of the cost of doing business for pharmaceutical companies. So uh, we'll link to this article in the show description so you can see it for yourself. Uh, but I did read it pretty much word for word with my little uh, uh, interjections there. It is such a dirty business, the pharmaceutical industry. It is such a dirty business because they know, they know two things. They know that sometimes we need them, that sometimes they actually can save lives. I dare say that they take more than they save, and I really believe that's the truth. But sometimes we need them. Sometimes they are necessary. And when they are life-saving, I really, really appreciate what they have to do. They take advantage of the trust they build through that, and they take advantage of fear and many other um, human emotions that we feel, and they also take advantage of naivete. And that is why I do Vitality Radio. It's why I don't just talk about vitamins and minerals and amino acids, but I also talk about pharma and doctors and medicine in general, because as much as possible, I hope to open as many eyes as I have the um, access to or ears as I have access to in the case of this podcast uh, to the possibilities that, you know, maybe these people who want to act as if they are saviors are actually in many cases our worst enemy. Okay, so that's topic number one. Topic number two is a whole different thing um, entirely. We're going to talk about seed oils. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show, I mentioned that the seed oil thing, it, it's it all depends on where you look. You know what I had to do? I was Googling. I was Googling Gil Carvalho. I was Googling seed oils. Are they really dangerous? 
I was Googling, are seed oils inflammatory? Do are seed oils toxic? All kinds of things like that. And the key word there is Googling. This is what we know about Google, who also owns YouTube. One of the things that they are doing their very best to, their very best at right now is to silence what would be considered non-consensus opinions about health. So if somebody wants to talk about the carnivore diet, for instance, or ketogenic diet, you, I don't care if you think that those diets are good or bad or otherwise. I'm not convinced that either one of them is the way to go for most people. However, they do have their place, and there is really great merit in both of those diets in certain situations. Why shouldn't we be able to talk about it even if it is even if it isn't, excuse me. And here's what I believe about that, that we walked through the most heavily censored time of my life in the 51 years that I've been here during the COVID years. It was brutal. Shadow banning and censorship were everywhere. I was called on local radio by local listeners to the Vitality Radio Show um, the reason Vitality Radio Podcast is called Vitality Radio Podcast and not just Vitality Podcast is because it was a radio show for 12 years before it turned into a podcast. And that's a really important bit of information because on local radio, I basically said everything that I ever wanted to say without any repercussions other than a few doctors emailing me and telling me that I was off my rocker for some of the things I was saying about things like cholesterol and, you know, whatever. No big deal. I have no problem with that. I'll take all the backlash that somebody wants to give me. That's not my concern. My concern is when listeners to the show send hate mail, which is literally what it was, saying that I'm a charlatan, a snake oil salesman, and that I'm complicit in the death of thousands of people. That's what one of the letters said. I don't even care if they send me that. Send me all the letters you want. Uh, you know, pick it out in front of Vitality Nutrition, whatever you're going to do uh, that you can do legally and without trying to actually, you know, physically harm me or my family. That's great. What bothered me was when the radio show uh, or the radio station got that information. When they got those letters and then forwarded them to me, they told me that they would take me off the air if they continued to get letters like that. That creates something called self-censorship. You may have heard of it. It's a real problem right now, and it's a real, real problem because I do self-censor now on my Saturday podcast episode, which is also on local radio. I don't talk about this topic right here, for instance. And I don't talk about some of these other topics that are more sensitive topics. Because if I do, I will lose that slot. And if I lose that slot, that will harm not only my business, but my mission, which is to educate as many people as I possibly can on the things that I am passionate about teaching. And so we walked through this valley of just horrific censorship and self-censorship. And at the lead on that were social media companies, search engines like Google and uh, video platforms like YouTube that censored all kinds of stuff. Well, you know what they're doing now? They're doing it a little bit differently. They're demonetizing. Another way to censor people is take away their money, right? That's a really great way. Demonetizing videos that they disagree with that are not political at all. 
Dr. Berg has a video on YouTube uh, with tape over his mouth talking about how he's been censored and demonetized, and they're basically pushing his um, his search results down. He used to have the highest ranking search results if somebody looked up the ketogenic diet, and now you can't even find him on the first page of Google or YouTube. Why was he highest? Well, he was highest because he'd had the most views. Why is he no longer highest? Because they are artificially burying him. So when I went to look for seed oils and Google all this stuff, I all I could find was positive things about seed oils, which was ridiculous because I already knew there was way more negative out there than positive if you actually look at the research. But that's how I came across guys like Gil Carvalho. And he put out an argument that even to someone who considers himself to be quite educated on these topics was a pretty compelling argument based on the studies that he was cherry picking and sharing during his videos. And so I was suspicious right out of the gate. And then when I saw this whole Dr. Berg controversy, I recognized what was actually going on. And frankly, I feel a little foolish that I didn't just put two and two together right from the start. I had suspicion, but I didn't, I didn't just and, and maybe that's good. I don't know. I didn't just assume that I was right and that may, maybe there was something I was missing is what it boils down to. And once I started researching who Gil Carvalho was and where he comes from, which I talked about on the other episode, I won't talk about it here, I realized what was happening. So when I started to prepare this show, I looked at the Brave browser. It's a free browser. If you've never used it, I have no affiliation with these guys at all. I think they're doing good work. Um, the Brave browser doesn't artificially uh, you know, blacklist uh, research and uh, articles. And so I did a very similar search uh, queries, and I came up with very different articles. This article came from the Cleveland Clinic website. The Cleveland Clinic is an interesting website. All, you know, pharma and AMA, you know, medicine type content, but with a much, 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 much less biased approach to what they're saying. They're some of the few people in medicine that are actually questioning the typical, you know, day-to-day crap that's coming out of these medical journals, coming out of uh, mouths of these so-called experts in health. So whenever I get to find information from Cleveland Clinic, I like to use it because they're from sort of the other side of the coin, not the same kind of people I typically uh, trust, we'll say, and yet, they seem to come with much less bias. It's much like the British Medical Journal is that way as well. There are still some people with ethics uh, in the medical community, uh, you know, in the higher places in the medical community. I think there are a lot of people with ethics in the medical community at the lower levels, but at the higher levels, there's a whole lot of corruption. Cleveland Clinic, I think, actually does a relatively good job. So this is an article written by a dietitian. Her name is Julia Zumpano. Uh, she's a registered dietitian and a licensed dietitian, I guess is what that says. Um, and uh, she explains what seed oils are and what they can do for your body uh, or to your body is a better way to put it. And whether you need to cut them out forever or just focus on a healthy, balanced diet and so on. So I'm going to read a bunch of snippets from this article and then just uh, interject, you know, some of my feelings on this. But first, I'll give you just a little bit of backstory. And this backstory happened literally, <laughs> literally in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. So I was, uh, you, you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, that I've had pretty significant issues with my my right hip uh, due to a uh, essentially a 
genetic uh, defect in the hip in terms of how the hip socket is positioned. And um, it's caused me a tremendous amount of pain over the last five or six years. And through a combination of using LifeWave uh, patches and uh, switching to a very anti-inflammatory diet, reducing most of my grains and pretty much 100% of my seed oils, um, I am largely out of pain or in very, very minimal pain compared to being pretty debilitated for a few uh, years, not able to hike and run and play basketball and things like that. Just two weeks ago, I was able to go out and play basketball and uh, did pretty good. I'm a little weak still uh, after years of being off. And my gosh, my three-pointer ain't what it used to be. <laughs> but I was able to play and that was cool. And back in August, I was able to hike uh, an unbelievably challenging and yet super amazing hike with my sweetheart in Switzerland. So things have come a long way. And it was just March of this year that I, well, late February, actually, that I went seed oil free. And that was the biggest change that I've seen is that seed oil change going from no seed oils, which corn, canola, vegetable oil, safflower, sunflower, all these oils um, are the ones that I'm not using. And it's actually a shorter list to tell you the ones that I do use. I use animal fats. So that's going to include things like butter and ghee and, and um, uh, tallow and things like that. I use coconut oil. I use avocado oil and I use olive, uh, olive oil. That's pretty much it. Mostly coconut and olive on the vegetable side. And then um, the animal fats. And it's been an incredible shift for me in terms of inflammation and pain. Well, uh, my my friend and coworker at Vitality Nutrition, Josh, came in with. He's a ridiculously great uh, chef and baker of amazing things, and he and his uh, sweetheart are. Uh, who, who she's French, and I don't know if everybody in France is just born knowing how to bake things. I don't know if, or if it's a, the first curriculum they teach them in school, but there's some really good baking going on in France. I know that. And uh, they brought he, he brought to work some cupcakes, and, and they were, uh, yeah, they looked pretty darn delectable. And I said, okay, so what's in these? Because I knew there was wheat, and I kind of do okay with limited wheat. I don't eat much of it, but I eat some. Um, I usually eat Kamut uh, instead or, or uh, sourdough. But there was wheat in there, and he said there's a little bit of, of uh, vegetable oil. And uh, I took a chance. I took a chance. And uh, I ate one of these cupcakes, and there wasn't a lot of vegetable oil. It was about two tablespoons in the entire batch, and I ate one little cupcake. And uh, I had a limp. I had a noticeable limp for about 24 hours after I ate that cupcake. It's the only thing I can point back to. And I probably literally had something like a half a teaspoon of oil or something like that. I don't even know. I'd have to ask him to get into details on that. It was that big of a difference. It was crazy. And I've recognized that over and over again. Still, still I wanted to taste one of these cupcakes, and so I guess I paid the price, and maybe I'll be smarter about it in the future. But that's my backstory. That's why I'm so passionate about this seed oil thing because it has changed my life in such a way that uh, I can't even imagine going back to a diet that consists of seed oils on a regular basis. So, which is why part of the reason I was so blown away by this stuff that Gil Carvalho was pushing that, oh yeah, seed oils, there's no problem. They, they don't increase inflammation any more than any other fat. It's simply not true. And there's plenty of evidence to point to that. 
But this Zupano, Zampano, uh, this dietitian, who, who they're all taught by the food, you know, big food, as I call it, the, you know, food equivalent of big pharma uh, to a large degree dictates what dietitians are taught in school. But some of them go out after school and they learn actual <laughs> research, do their own research and do great things. She basically says that most most seed oils are being utilized in the form of processed packaged foods, fast foods, and eating out, and that's where most of the danger lies. I agree. Here's the thing. If that cupcake was a hostess cupcake, I would have run fast and far away from that thing because everything in that cupcake would have been absolute toxic. You know, toxic, ev- toxic everything. This was a pretty clean recipe with some seed oil in it, okay? And that's why I took the chance on it, partly because I'm trying to just sort of figure out what my threshold is, and I'm recognizing it's not very high. So, you know, individual results will vary, as they say, but uh, my gosh, it's a different it's a different thing for me. Um, and I will dare say, and I'm going to do a talk about this, uh, or, a, or a podcast about this. I've already talked to uh, to Jen about this, and, and she and I are going to put this together, I think. I don't know if she'll co-host it with me or just help me with the research. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at how to eat for um, pain. And what I mean is how to eat to get out of pain because she and I have gone down this road over the last couple of years to reduce our inflammation and pain so dramatically that uh, it doesn't. We, we don't care. We don't care how we eat anymore. Uh or I should say we don't care what we don't get to eat anymore. Um, We're happy to eat the way we are because we feel so darn good. So are seed oils unhealthy? Yes and no, she says, but mostly yes. Because of the way they're made, seed oils are typically very processed. Even worse than that, though, is they're usually used in ultra-processed foods, fast food burgers, fries, and all that sort of thing. Seed oils themselves, though, have high levels of omega-6 fats, which lead to inflammation. And they're mostly used to make ultra-processed foods, which also cause inflammation because those foods have grains in them. They have synthetic uh, you know, vitamins in them that can cause inflammation in a lot of people, particularly if you deal with MTHFR. Um, they are heavily refined as far as the flour. They're heavily find it, refined as far as the sugar and so on and so forth. Keep in mind, she says, that they're also added to foods marketed as healthy. And this is a big deal. Okay. Let's go through this because I don't think I've ever mentioned it before. I started my seed oil-free eating back in February of 2023 because I was going to a trade show uh, the second week of March in 2023. And this trade show is a devil of a show for people that have pain when they walk. It's three day, four days actually on concrete, walking and standing all day long, like 10 hours a day. It's super intense. It's super fun. I love it, but it hurts if you've got any kind of leg or foot pain or back pain or anything like that. And I hadn't been to it because of COVID for a few years, and my my hip situation was not good at that time. And so I decided to pull out all the stops, get rid of the seed oil, and see what happened. I felt so good by the time I left on that trip that I was blown away because literally it was only a couple of weeks off of seed oils and I was feeling like a different person. So one of the things about this trade show, though, you get a sample all kinds of quote unquote healthy foods. It is a health and nutrition show. It's called Natural Products Expo West. And there's all kinds of 
healthier options, we'll say. Tons of organic food, tons of lightly processed food, things like that. Very little ultra-processed crap. But most organic food that has an oil in it is going to have organic safflower oil or organic sunflower oil. Why? Well, because they're very, very cheap to use and they're very, very stable once they've been bleached and fried. Excuse me, and fried and all the other things that they do to them. It's the ultra-processed form of this oil. It's not that the sunflower seed is necessarily bad for you. It's not that the sunflower seed oil is even necessarily bad for you. It's how processed that oil becomes that makes it so darn toxic to the human body. And what we noticed reading the labels was how much stuff we couldn't try because there was so much seed oil even in the quote-unquote healthy foods. You go into a Whole Foods, you go into any of these other, you know, natural grocery type stores and you look for a healthy treat that doesn't have seed oils in it. Good luck. It is very, very, very difficult to find, which means you're very, very limited to mostly cooking for yourself, making your own food, which of course is the healthiest way to eat anyway, if you do it right. But it's not the way most of us do eat, right? And so it's a real challenge. Anyway, I love that she brings that up. These oils, even if they're organic, are still potentially toxic to the human body and almost always inflammatory. Um, There are uh, all the nutrients that used to be in the oil are typically removed through the refining process as well. And she talks about the ratios, and this is a pretty big deal, the old omega-3 versus omega-6 ratio. Um, That matters so much. It is commonly believed that somewhere around a 2 to 1 or a 1 to 1 omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, some people say 3 to 1, Others even say that even at 7 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3, you can have a relatively balanced inflammatory picture. There's a whole bunch of kind of conflicting research on it. But we do know that you don't want it to be 10 to 1 or 20 to 1. The average American is hovering somewhere between 10 and 20 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3. Now, in my case, I can tell you, I get very, very little omega-6. I get more omega-3 than most people because not only do I supplement it, but most of the food I eat is higher in omega-3. The type of eggs I eat is higher, are higher in omega-3. The grass-fed beef that I eat is higher in omega-3 and so on. And so I'm not, my ratio is, is pretty darn good, but even just a little extra influx of that what I call toxic seed oil, really, really creates an issue for me. And the reason I'm kind of hammering this is because, A, it's personal. I have recognized that my quality of life is dramatically improved off the seed oils. My condition is my condition. It's not your condition. We're all going to be a little bit different with this. And interestingly enough, even though my sweetheart, Jen, has had chronic pain for 20 years or had chronic pain for 20 years, When I met her uh, and hasn't had it since she went grain-free largely as she dropped corn and wheat as as the the two biggest killers for her and oats, those big three. But she mostly eats grain-free or limited grain. Seed oils don't seem to bug her too much and gluten doesn't seem to bug me too much. 
but vice versa, it's a whole different story, right? So it is different for everybody. But if you're dealing with chronic pain, I've talked to three people in the last two days at Vitality Nutrition dealing with chronic pain, looking for things that I can give them in a pill that will help with that. I had Maggie on a couple of months ago talking about pain and what you can do supplementally, but we also focused a lot on vitamins and minerals and herbs and dietary uh, adjustments, uh, you know, all in that mix, and even talked about the emotional balance that can reduce inflammation because stress, emotional stress, is as inflammatory as maybe anything that you can do to yourself. So there's a whole wide range of things to look at when you're looking at chronic pain. But these people, what they didn't want to hear is you need to really look at your diet. Seed oils are probably creating issues. Gluten might be creating issues. Sugar definitely is creating issues. And, of course, the one that is um, <laughs> the one that might be the hardest for a lot of people is dairy. And, and I think sugar might come ahead of dairy. I don't know. It depends. And some people do fine with dairy if it's not raw. I don't. I do really great with raw dairy and not with pasteurized dairy. So it's different for all of us. But the key is, and the question is, and this is really the ultimate question I have to ask everybody, whether you're listening to my show or you're sitting in front of me at Vitality, and that is, how bad do you want to feel good? How bad do you want to feel good? If you want to feel good badly enough that you're willing to give up seed oils or wheat or corn, that's the biggest killer for gin, or... Uh, oats or dairy or sugar or whatever it is, if you're willing to give that up to feel good, and, and, and I'm going to tell you a little secret, and, and really it is, it's kind of a secret that people don't think about. If you're willing to give something up to feel good, you won't know how willing you are until you've already given it up. And what I mean by that is this, and when I talk to Jen or when I hear people talk to Jen, it's really she and I are together most of the time. And we have these conversations and inevitably because we often you know, try to go out to eat with people or are invited out to eat with people or go someone's place to eat or invite them to our place to eat or whatever, food is such a big part of our lives, right? All of our lives. The conversation comes up, well, why can't you eat that or why won't you eat that? And her answer is very simple. I feel so good when I eat like this that I'm not, I, I don't care. I don't care at all what I can't eat. It doesn't bother me anymore. But when she originally was giving it up, and when I was originally giving it up, it was daunting. It was like, really? <laughs> Basically, we can eat Thai food if we go to a restaurant because they almost always use coconut oil. And that's okay. And they usually use white rice or white rice noodles, which we can both eat without any problems. We can do that. We can sometimes do Indian food, depending on who's make it, making it. And uh, if we can get a, a pretty clean place to make us a steak, we can eat that. Or sometimes we can eat a burger at our favorite natural food restaurant, uh, Redmond Farms here in Utah. But man, almost everywhere else we can't eat. And that's daunting. It's annoying and frustrating at times. But the secret is you don't know how good you can feel until you've made these experiments for yourself. And if you're willing to make those experiments for yourself, 
you're willing to eliminate certain foods to see how your body responds and to see how much better you can feel. Almost universally, I talk to people who haven't done it and say, I can't do that. And almost universally, I talk to people who have done it and they would never go back to feeling the crappy way they felt before. What I love about this Zumpano um, lady that uh, writes this article is really, really simple. And that is that what she says is there are substitutes for all of these things. And if you live within a moderation mindset, because I'm, I'm laying out for you a kind of an extreme situation because I recognize that a little teeny bit of seed oil, I can limp for a day. And Jen recognizes that a little bit of gluten or a little bit of corn, she can be in pain in her back for two to three days after just one little slip up. You might be there. I hope you're not. I hope it's not as extreme for you. But if you are, then the question is, if, if that's how far gone you are in terms of the sensitivity level that you're dealing with, and the question is, why wouldn't you make that jump? Because it will be just as dramatic how much better you feel, just like it is with me or with Jen. But for most people, if you're listening to this show, what you're, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. I can't, no way I, I want to do that. But if you're listening to this show and you're paying attention to what I'm saying, then you can read this article. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, link it in the show description too because I'm not going to read through the entire thing for you. It's a pretty long article, but it's really, really good. And just take the advice that this uh, Zumpano gives you, Julia Zumpano, which is moderate. Pull the stuff out, see how you feel, and see how much you can put back in. That's what Jen did with the grain. She went completely grain-free, not even white rice. And now she finds that she can eat white rice. If it's unenriched, she does really good with white rice most of the time. She can eat really good sourdough bread, like the Gutsy Grains bread that I've talked about. And she can eat kamut, which is an ancient grain form of wheat. She can eat a lot of these types of things, and she does just fine. So she's not grain-free at all anymore. She's just kind of normal grain-free. She has to pick and choose the types of grains that she can eat. But that's fine because she just substitutes them in. It's the same with me. If I'm cooking for myself or she's cooking for us, then we're looking at, you know, butter's fine and coconut oil's fine and avocado oil's fine and olive oil's fine. These are all fine. It's no problem. And we can substitute all those things and we can eat really great. When we eat at home, it always tastes amazing. The challenge is when we try to eat out. But the other thing that we've learned, and this is a pretty cool little perk if you can get used to it, is holy cow, how much money do you save when you don't eat out, right? So you can feel better about your bank account as well as feeling better about your hip not hurting or your back not hurting or your arthritis not hurting or whatever it is. The message for today's show is really simple, I think, and that is experiment with yourself. Let your body tell you what it likes and what it doesn't like, and then listen to your body. Your body knows more about your health than your doctor knows. It knows more about your health than I know, and it knows more about your health than your brain knows. Your body knows. Listen to it. 
pay attention to the signals it is giving. Every symptom that you experience is a message to you from your body saying something isn't right. Listen to me and you'll feel better. And I really do believe that. And sometimes that requires a lot of experimentation. It does. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It is so worth it to feel great all the time. And I can tell you at 51 years old, having done this show for 16 years, having owned a nutrition store for 30 years, almost 29, having lived almost in a health food store from the time I was five years old, that I feel better now in the last couple of years since really being willing to sacrifice some things I didn't think I was willing to sacrifice than I have felt in over a decade. I feel better at 50 than I did at 40. I really do. I have better energy. So many other things have improved. And over the last five years where I had all of that pain, I almost never have that pain anymore. And it is dramatic and it is life-changing and it is awesome. Listen to your body, educate your mind. You can feel optimal and you can achieve vitality. I hope that I'm part of that equation, but most of it, of course, comes down to you and what you choose to do on a day-to-day basis. Over the next few months, I'm going to be bringing you more emotional vitality episodes to really help with the mental, emotional side of things. I'm going to continue to educate you on diet, nutrition, supplementation, and all those things. We're going to hit homeopathy hard in 2024. I love you. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared Sinclair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.